0: We are back, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Coaching Connections, but before I get started, I wanna take a quick second to say thank you. Thank you so much to everybody that played a part in allowing us to have a season this year. Um, I'm grateful for our administration. We had unbelievable support from our athletic office. Our family support was amazing. Without you guys, none of this would have been possible. And I'm so full of gratitude that our athletes had a chance to experience the season and also have some success and just get to play the game they love. So thank you all so much for your support. And I hope everybody out there listening had an opportunity to do something similar. Um, but without further ado, this is Coaching Connection, season number two, episode number one. On today's episode, we have Coach Chuck Martin from the University of South Carolina. Now, Chuck has an unbelievable story. He and I had a blast talking about everything from life to basketball and everything in between. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I know he and I did. This is episode number one of season two, Coaching Connections. Chuck Martin, let's get after
1: it. What's up, brother? I appreciate you having me, man.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate your patience uh, trying to figure this whole Zoom thing, technology. No,
1: I love doing it. And um, usually what we do is – someone in our office usually organizes it. So they usually send it to him and then he sends it to me. He sets it all up. Just show and, up and do it. Do the work. And do it. And do it. But my wife, honestly, my wife just bailed me out.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, Ms. Martin.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, she bailed me out. So you doing okay, brother? I'm good, man. What about yourself? I'm doing great, man. Just, um, you know, long year like everybody else. And um, just kind of excited that, the country and the world is moving in the right direction with the vaccine and, and giving us all confidence to, to move forward and close to normalcy.
2: Absolutely. What we,
1: what we consider normalcy.
0: Absolutely, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful for like, uh, our leadership. I know where I work, our leadership was great about working through the pandemic, giving us the support we needed. Uh, yeah. So our boys were able to, have, and all the athletics programs in our school had, had an opportunity to have a season. And, uh, I mean, without them, I mean, shoot, they could have just shut us down if they wanted to. And I had a lot of friends that didn't even get to play anything. But uh, yeah, great, we had great, great uh, administration.
1: Yeah, same here, man. We, we, I've got friends in the business, high school, college, Division two, II, Division three, who they didn't get a chance to, to participate at all. Yeah. You know, they just couldn't do it. And um, they didn't have the resources to get tested. And um, it's a shame because those kids worked really hard, and the coaches, as you know, yeah. prepare for this season, this moment, and then all of a sudden, it's like, "Hey, you can't do it." It's uh, it's devastating. So I'm I'm grateful that we were able to get through it, but I'm also happy it's over because it was a, for us, it was a disaster. So I'm happy it's over, and we can hit the restart button, the reset button, and and, and get back to doing what we do.
0: Absolutely, it was those long, like you said, I, man, you know, we tested every Tuesday. Okay. So Wednesday was the day we got our results, and Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. So every Wednesday morning, I'm, I'm sitting in my office, man, I hope my phone doesn't ring. I hope my phone doesn't yeah. ring. I hope my phone. And then so one day, our, one of our athletic directors called me on a Wednesday about nothing to do with COVID testing. And I was like, you can't call me on a Wednesday morning and freak me out. I'm thinking, man, now we got to <laughs> sit down. You know, send me a text message or call me on Thursday.
1: Right, right, right. We were the same way. We were sitting by the phone. We were getting tested three times a week. So the anxiety of like, yo, am I clear, not clear? And then I got it. So I was done for two weeks, and I missed two games, the Missouri, the LSU game. Then Frank got it, so he missed two games. It was a disaster, man. It really was. It's but, uh, it's yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that being said, there were other people who had it worse. Absolutely. You know? Obviously, it was terminal for some people. So I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to, to fight our way through it and, and see ourselves uh, on the other side, so to speak.
0: Well, we're kind of already there. Like, what, what were some of the things that you guys faced? Like, I mean, you talked about the anxiety. Uh, you know, you had it. You know, Frank had it. You know, anything else that you guys had to
1: deal with? Uh, yeah, so I think I- the hardest part was, like, the, uh, the uh, uncertainty. So, every week from week to week, you didn't know who you were going to have at practice. Yeah. So, you had to change your schemes offensively and defensively because, you know, if, if you got it, right, for us in South Carolina, they shut the whole program down. Okay, so it wasn't like you know one guy got it and the other thirteen guys continued to practice. Mm-hmm. So everybody was shut down, and um, and then you know some kids some kids didn't recover as quickly from it. So that being said, you had to figure out well we don't have two starters. We gotta we gotta play small ball. Yeah. So let's 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 get let's start getting reps um, at this new action that we're trying to run before the Tennessee game before the Kentucky game. And then right before you play those games, you know, you get a phone call like, oh, yeah, the point guard is out too. So now it's like you're playing small ball with a backup point guard and a backup three-man. So it was a challenge because you, you didn't know from, from uh, week to week. And, you know, some people say, well, everyone dealt with it. But that wasn't necessarily uh, true because some schools, like Alabama, I'll give you an example. Alabama, I want to say 12 of their guys got it in August. Wow. So they dealt with it, and then they, they, didn't, they weren't disrupted the rest of the year. Where that's us, we were disrupted during the season. Yeah, so we true. got it in October, then we got it in November, then we got it in December. So it's two weeks, they shut you down. And then the protocol for us was uh, the, the first day out of quarantine, you can only do 25% activity. Mm-hmm. The second day was 50%. The third day was 75%. The fourth day was 100%. But the fourth day essentially is eighteen days later, yes, yeah. almost three weeks. So it's unheard of to go three weeks without doing anything, then all of a sudden you play Kentucky. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to work.
0: You're out of you shape. You're no rhythm, no timing on the floor.
1: Yeah, everything's yeah. yeah. And there were games where we played the Tennessee game without practicing. We, we tried to avoid it because they're, they're hard to beat when, you're, when you have practice. Yeah. And, um, but now we went into the Tennessee game. We flew in the night before. We shot around a day of, and then we played the game. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a hard thing uh, for anyone to, to do. So those were those some of the challenges that were, you know, not easy to overcome.
0: I'll say uh, as far as some of the teams that didn't have to shut down, like for us, we were fortunate that not one time this year – we're the only program in our school and in our, in our district and our competing, uh, I guess, conference that didn't have to shut down. I mean, um, and I don't know, you know, I'll say this, you know, last year when COVID hit around this time. Right. You know, about two weeks before that, you know, eight of my guys got sick and, and they just said flu-like, they didn't really know what happened. And we were playing really good ball. And all of a sudden they just went down like flies. and I couldn't stop it. We tried our best to contain it. Right. We didn't know what COVID was. We just thought, oh, they got a bug. And sure, then, yeah. And then, you know, you look a few weeks later, the whole world shuts down, and, and it's hard to think that it, maybe it, it wasn't because this year, none of those guys caught it. You know, they didn't catch it once. Right. And then the two guys that didn't get it last year caught it in August this year. So they got it, got it out of the way, so to speak. And Right. So we we're fortunate. It's still a, a level of anxiety that you, you don't want them to catch it again. Exactly. But uh, I guess we were forcing in that regard. But, I mean, with all of right. that being said, I'm just glad we could play. All of us had a chance to, to get after
1: Yeah. It. Yeah, we needed it. You know, we, uh, it's uh, – it's, how long have you been coaching now?
0: Uh, well, as a head coach, this is my seventh year as a head coach, uh, 11 total. So,
1: so you've been doing this, you know, quite a long time. So it's become, you know, a part of your routine. Okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone takes that routine away. And it's like, yo, what am I doing? You know I'm at home, yeah. I should be at practice, I should be you know with my staff, so it's uh to your point, it was great to 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 just play, although yeah. it wasn't normal um and we were disrupted. it was better than not playing you know it's just i don't know I don't know what you would do you know if if they just canceled the whole season it would it would be uh, it would be hard for us hard
0: for us as, as coaches and I, and I feel so bad for those seniors that
1: absolutely yeah. Yeah, hard thing, man. Hard thing for sure.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing those thoughts, Coach. That's that's great insight. You know, I've, always, I've, I've talked to coaches in our area, but I haven't talked to many people too far outside of Texas about um, what they experienced and how they handled it and dealt with it.
1: Yeah, the, the toughest thing, I think, was also early on, no one really knew what it was. Yeah. So, like, you had an idea, and but it was like, oh, it's like the flu. And then it's like, well, it's a little bit stronger than the flu. Yeah. So no one really knew what to deal with. Like, like if, if you have a, uh, an enemy or adversity, like if you know what it is, then you know how to attack it yeah, or you can come up with a game plan. Mm-hmm. And um, but no one really knew exactly what this thing was. So it felt like you were guessing from week to week. You need a mask. No, you don't need a mask. Um, it's not airborne. Oh, yeah, hey, it is airborne. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can practice with gloves. No, you don't need gloves. It was like, yo, what are we doing? <laughs> so that was probably like the hardest part, like not knowing what is it that we're dealing with, yeah. and uh, so we, you could never, you felt like uh, you could never come up with a real game plan to try to attack it.
0: You know, fortunate for us as far as basketball goes, and especially in high school, you got football, volleyball. We got to see what they did and didn't do, and how they operated, and what worked and what didn't work. So by the time basketball got here, I think you know for us we had a, a decent idea, but even then, it still felt like it was evolving. Yeah, going, you know the protocols kind of shifted a little bit.
1: Yeah, we you know the, the strangest thing for us, I think, was we played in a preseason event in Kansas City, which was like a big time venue. It's it's one of usually one of the the sites for the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. and um, we were we had two games there. I think we played Liberty, who was really good, and we played Tulsa. And when we walked in you know, for the, for the pregame warmups, it was the first, that was our first game. Mm -hmm. There was nobody in attendance. And to 20,000 seat arena. And we're used to, whether it's home or on the road, even if it's not a great crowd, you still got 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. And it was like, it was weird. It was like, there's literally no one. And I just remember like, this is completely different from anything I've ever experienced. Cause you know, the referees are there. You can clearly hear them. They can clearly hear us. Yeah. And it was just weird. It was like a twenty thousand seat arena with nobody in it. It was wow. it was uh you would make a big play, and you were accustomed to momentum swing for the opposing team if you were on the road, or or momentum for us if we were at home. But it was neutral. There was mm-hmm. no noise. You hit a big three. It was just quiet. Yeah, and a big you know, dunk. It was just quiet.
0: Hundred percent, coach. And I try to stress to our guys like we we're gonna have to depend on ourselves. Yes, to, to provide that energy because we go to some gyms and they don't allow fans and some gyms do allow fans, but we, right. we can't guess from game to game. We're just going to have to do it ourselves. And, uh, and it's tough. It's tough, you know, but, um, definitely different.
1: That was different. That was different, man. It, it caught all of us, all of us off guard. And I think it took us like maybe, you know, like six to seven games to be honest. Cause, cause you felt like, okay, let's do this again. Let's see what it feels like again. And yeah. you walked in, it was empty. We played Houston at Houston, and that was when they were starting to transition and let, I think, a percentage of, of people in. Mm-hmm. And and that was still weird because all of a sudden you had cut out pictures. And we're like, whoa, what, what's going on? Like, yeah. like there was cut out pictures. I'm like, this is bizarre, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was weird, man. It was uh, It's going to be chapter 35 in my book. There you the, go. The pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we survived it. We survived it. So I'm grateful.
0: You know, I think it was great too for the average fan or young young uh, athletes to watch it on TV or get you know get the chance to see. Uh, it was a little more intimate because you could hear, like you said, you could hear everything. Even on TV, you can hear so much more.
2: Yeah. That, you
0: know, for young athletes that maybe don't think that they talk so much on defense and at the college or whatever it is. I mean, right. you could hear everything. And so I, I did appreciate that aspect of
1: it. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not the only one. Like guys, guys shared that with me. They were like, "You guys were so specific in what you wanted to get done." And to me, I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's what we do every day." Yeah. And guys were like, "Yeah, but we never heard it before unless we came to practice." Yeah. Like you can. I can hear you on TV. Yeah. I can hear whatever the the action that you're trying to run or whatever the defensive scheme that you guys are trying to do. And so guy- it's interesting because guys are like fascinated by that, yeah. but for us, it's like every day right we're just yeah. we're, we're- yelling out the the command, and uh the only difference is that there was no one in the arena, so to your point, guys can hear you yeah it was it was interesting, it was an interesting dynamic
0: yeah, we don't sit there and watch film for for no reason right we, there's, there's no right,
1: yeah that's right, that's exactly right, that's exactly right that's exactly
0: right you know uh your childhood, Coach. Now, talk a little bit about where you grew up, you know, what that was like. Yeah. Any influences in your life that made you want to coach?
1: You know what? I um, I grew up – let me start off by saying I grew up in the Bronx, New York, mm-hmm. and um, I grew up right by Yankee Stadium. Nice. But my mom still lives there. She's been – This is she's a typical New Yorker. She's been in New York in the same apartment, same building Game since movie. 1972. Wow. So that's, that's, you know, that's, what is it, 48 years of her life in the same two-bedroom apartment. And um, so that's where I grew up at, and I grew up in a part of New York at that time that was a really, really rough part.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it was um, it was hard. It was hard living the '80s in New York City, you know, drug, poverty, all that stuff. Um, so that my upbringing really, really shaped who I am today, in regards to being tough and and understanding people. Like I had to read people. Like today, it's it's amazing today with social media. Like if, 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 if I don't like you or if I'm opinionated, I can go on Instagram and make a comment and then you get upset and you send me a mad emo, a mad emoji face. And I can send you a matter emoji face. But in my neighborhood, there was no social media in 1980. You just had to do it. It was like, if you said something to the wrong guy, it could cost your life. So I, at an early age, I learned people. I understood people. I knew like, don't mess with that guy. That guy can really hurt you. Or I learned like that guy is loud, but I'm okay with that guy. Yeah. And um, and you know, in today's day and age, everything is categorized. Like you got AAU, so you or high school, you play freshman, JV, varsity, you play AAU with the 13s, 15 year olds, 17 year olds. Yeah. But back then there was no AAU, so you just you just had to sit down and 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 wait for next. I got next, but I'm 13. And there's a guy who just got out of prison yesterday who is from my neighborhood, my neighborhood who's 18, and he wants to play. And it's your decision to figure out. I don't want him to play with me, but you gotta figure that out at that moment. Yeah. So that dynamic of, okay, how am I gonna survive today? Um, I gotta get this big sucker on my side so he can like me. <laughs> and and I and I gotta also tell him, like, yo, I'm not picking you for this game. And 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 I can't go over the top and And fake it because I'm not, you know, he's a real guy on the streets. But I can't be a punk either, so i got to figure out that fine line. And all those skills that I've learned back in New York uh, served me well in life, and they certainly served me well in in coaching. Because Mm -hmm. um, our profession, as you well know, is about people. Mm -hmm. How do you interact with them? How do you read them? How do they read you? Body language, energy. And um, so my neighborhood has had a huge influence on me. And um, so I grew up in – I was born in Puerto Rico, uh, raised in New York. Both of my parents are Puerto Rican. Uh, my real name is Jose Luis Martin. That's my real name. My my nickname is Chuck. Yeah. It was given to me a long time ago in the Bronx, and it just kind of stuck. And um, I, you know, I played high school ball at a really good uh, high school in New York, St. Raymond's High School, who's, who's produced tons of players – have gone on to play in college and you know some of them play in the NBA and then um, then I went to Monmouth University which is in the Jersey Shore played there division one small little division one program and then I came back after I graduated and became a high school teacher nice. so I taught for seven years before I got into college coaching wow. I was a a high school teacher at a school LaSalle Academy which is on the lower east side of New York which is at the bottom of Manhattan and I was living in the Bronx and the commute was, was, was a bear. So mm-hmm. then when there was an opening at my old high school, my alma mater, which was closer to me where I was living, I, I, I transferred and I started teaching and coaching at St. Raymond's and I taught there for four years. Mm-hmm. So I, I taught for seven years, high school. And um, at LaSalle, when I was there, on my freshman team for about 10 days, I had, he's called uh World Peace today, yeah. but back then he was Ron Artess. Oh, wow. So I had Ron Artess on my team, my freshman team, for like maybe 10 days. And I told my assistant, I said, you see that kid right there, man? We're not going to have him. He's not going to be with us. And my assistant at the time was a guy named Mike. I can't think of Mike's name because it's so far, so long ago. But Mike was great. He was like, nah, coach, he's a great kid. He's not a troublemaker. I think he thought I was referring that he was a bad kid. I'm like, yeah. I'm like no, man, this guy's too good. This guy's a uh, uh, like a 14 year old. He's like six seven already, like 200 pounds. I'm not keeping this guy. Yeah. So I'm like, sure enough, two weeks later, the um, the high school varsity coach, who's a legendary coach, Bill Aber, called me in his office and he was like, "Yo, man, like, you're not, that, you're not keeping that guy." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had Rodart test for like 10 days, although he was in my homeroom, um, so you know you got a chance to interact with him. But really, the best player in the school was not Ron Artest. So the best player at LaSalle Academy, if you can believe it or not, was a guy named Sham God Wells. Sham God. Yeah, so Sam was uh, – he was, he was a point guard at LaSalle Academy. And so he was, he was, uh, he was in my classroom, and uh, he was our starting point guard at LaSalle. And that year, he became a McDonald's All-American, and then mm-hmm. he was recruited heavily. Um, throughout the country, and decided to go to Providence College, but um, but Shamgar Wells was a hell of a high school player, yeah. and um, obviously he's he's well known today for the move yeah. that everybody does the Shamgar. Every kid do
0: cool uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's uh, that's how I kind of started my my coaching career. You know, it was I was really a teacher, and they needed help with the JV team and the freshman team, rather. So I coached the freshman team, and I was an assistant on the varsity team. And uh, so, yeah, I had, I had Ron and Sham. I did that for three years, and then I went to St. Raymond's, and then we were fortunate. You know, we had a bunch of really good players there who went on to play high major uh, Division one. And after my seventh year, going into my seventh year, I got the bug, I got the coaching bug, because I never thought, I never planned out that I was gonna be a coach. Um, I just wanted to be a teacher. And then it hit me, I want I to try to see if I can do this at a higher level. And um, so I remember, talking to the principal and uh, kind of saying, like, hey, you know, I'm going to reside next week. Wow. And, and he was just kind of like, I just, oh, I remember he just kept saying, but you got insurance. That's all he kept saying. You got, you got insurance. <laughs> and I'm like, his name was Father Frank was his name. And it was a Catholic school. And I'm like, Father, I get that, but I want to chase this dream. And he just kept saying, do you understand how expensive insurance is? You got insurance here. I'm like, like, like you know, medical benefits. And, uh, but no, I chased my dream and I resigned. And then I, I became a director of a, of, a, of a group called the Hoop Group, okay. which is, uh, you know, camps, clinics. I did that for a year. And then a year later, 10 months later, I got my first Division One job at Manhattan College with a guy named Bobby Gonzalez. And um, I had no experience. And um, I got the job with another young guy who's, who's done really well. He's now the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. So Mike Malone and I were- That's crazy. His, his first hires. Wow. And um, so me and Mike would just, we were young, we were kids, we didn't know. Like, so we, you know, you're in there early, at 6.30 in the morning, you're there till midnight, you know, you're working your butt off. And um, and then, you know, you fast forward 25, 30 years and Mike's done an unbelievable job with his career. Heck of a job, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Mike now is, um, he's been in the NBA for a number of years. This is his second stint as a head coach in the NBA. And he did a tremendous job last year in the playoffs. Absolutely. So, But that's, that was the start of my coaching career. It was me and a, I was young and a, and a young, another young assistant, Mike Malone. We never knew each other, we never met before. Uh, we were on the staff and then you know, we know just got to work. And before you know it, our career started to take off and Mike stayed one or two years. I went on to UMass mm-hmm. and um, I went to UMass and I went to Drexel University and then I came back home to St. John's University which was a big deal for me. Yeah. If you grew up in New York, at that time, it wasn't Carolina or Duke. Well, St. It St. John's was St. A big St. Deal. Yeah, St. John's and when I was there, when I first got there, I think it's changed a little bit, but when I first got there, St. John's was still the sixth all-time winningest program in the history of college basketball. I know people don't view St. John's that way anymore because it's kind of it hasn't made that dramatic impact in the tournament lately. But when I got there, which was 2003, I think, 2004, they were the, they were the sixth all-time winningest program in college basketball history. So I grew up with Mark Jackson, Walter Berry, Chris Mullen, Wow, wow. so all of a sudden, Luke Carnesecca was the coach. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, I find myself at Madison Square Garden on the bench on national TV. I'm a New York kid. It was like, yeah. like, this is unbelievable. Like, we're playing St. John's and, and like, you know, you're on CBS. It was crazy. It was That's like, awesome. like, what just happened? And uh, so I did that for, uh, for three years at St. John's with Norm Roberts, who was a tremendous coach, is a tremendous coach. And then I got a phone call from John Calipari. It was like, yo oh, man, you know, what are your thoughts? Come to Memphis. Uh, we're gonna win a national championship, you know. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I was happy at um at St. John's and uh I just got married a few years earlier. I got a small, I got a young family. Yeah. And uh and Memphis was like the deep south. I've never been to the deep south before. You know, I'm from New York. But Cal was like, Hey, you know, come on down, we got something special. And sure enough, we had an incredible like two year run. Yeah. And uh, you know, went undefeated back to back years in Conference USA. Uh, went to the Elite Eight my first year, and then went to the national championship game my second year. What was that and experience like? Is that tournament run? The the national championship one? Yeah, not that one. That was incredible, man. Because you know, last night everyone was talking about the undefeated team, Gonzaga. Can they do it? Can they? Can they do what Indiana did in '96? What well, gets lost. Like, every once in a while, not often, when I do things like this, it reminds me of how good we were. So I start to Google the 2008 uh, Memphis Tiger team. And it's always listed, like – and it's, you can argue about it, right? You can, make a, you can make an argument either way. But most people have them, like, in the top ten, like, greatest teams to play college basketball. Wow. And what happens is, like, it gets it – gets, you forget about it because it was 2008, but we only lost one game that year.
2: Wow.
1: We lost to Tennessee. But, but we went into the national championship game with one loss on our record. And we played everybody. We played Arizona, Georgetown. and We played everybody under the sun. We beat them. We, we beat Gonzaga. We beat everybody. So, like, that was unbelievable. Like, you, you, won, you lost one game the whole year. And, I mean, we were rolling. You, you beat Michigan State. I mean, we beat some big-time programs. And, uh, and you're winning. You're in the national championship game. You're, you're, you're like seven minutes away from, from winning it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a humble kid from the Bronx. And on staff, we had Rod Strickland, who was a hell of a NBA player. Yeah. So me and Rod Strickland are, are, you know, we're good friends. We're tight. And I remember him and I on the bench. When you go to the national championship game, they have a book. I still have it. And what they do is, in the book, the, the team that wins the national championship, their picture is in the book forever. Yeah. So for the next – 100 years, every national championship team from the previous year is in the book. The runner-up just gets their name. So when we're up in that game, like at the six-minute mark, the four-minute mark, I never forget, like, looking at Rod Strickland, like, smiling something along the lines, like, we're going to be in the book with Jordan, you know, because Jordan went to Carolina. Yeah. And then, then, like, disaster happened. Joey Dorsey got the foul. He fouled out. And then, you know, Chalmers hits the shot to take it to overtime and then, you know, lost the game. Um, but it was a surreal experience, man, because it was um, – that team was like a bunch of rock stars. Yeah. Like, that team was like – you couldn't go anywhere. And part of it was, you know, Coach Calipari had that thing about him. Everybody wanted to be around him, autographs, pictures, all that stuff. And then you had Derrick Rose, and you, you had a cast of guys who were really good. And, um, and then you had the assistant coaches who, we were colorful in our own way. Yes. So that team was a fun team to be a part of. It had a lot of swagger, but it also had a lot of substance.
2: Yeah. Like
1: that team worked really hard. That team was committed. That team was willing to fight for one another. Um, that team was not afraid of adversity. And um, so it was a fun year. And, uh, and then, you know, you finally get to the, to the national championship game. And, you know, it was 80,000 people at the Alamo Dome. It was crazy. It was like, like you know, celebrities were there. Yeah. You're, you're looking. And it's like, yo, look at that actor or that musician. And they all wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be in your locker room. So it was a surreal experience, man. And, um, you know, most guys don't get a chance to, to experience that. So I'm grateful that myself and my family were able to, to, to go through it and and in hindsight you realize like how many good teams you beat to get to the national championship mm-hmm. game like we beat a really good UCLA team by 16 17 points who had russell westbrook at the point yeah. who had uh, Kevin love at the center spot i mean like they had, mm-hmm. they had the drew bro- one of the drew brothers yeah. like 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 they were like really freaking good man and uh, and when we beat them like really bad to go to the finals and we, you know, we had the game one against Kansas. And, you know, it went all downhill, man, in overtime.
0: Dang, Mario Chalmers shot. <laughs> Chalmers,
1: man. I saw Chalmers years later at Indiana. Him, Victor Oladipo, and all these guys came to Indiana to work out for three days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so we worked them out for three days, you know. And um, Chalmers doesn't remember. But I remember bringing it up. I'm like, yo, bro, you hit that shot in 2008. I was on staff. <laughs> oh, we bust out laughing. Uh, but, no, it's, it was an awesome experience to, to, you know, coach at that level yeah. in that game was, like, incredible. It changed your life. It changed your life. It changed your career. It changed your mm-hmm. career. So
0: then from Memphis you go to Indiana?
1: No, I'm oh. at Memphis, and I get the head coaching job at Maris. There you go. Which is a small Division One program in New York City, upstate New York, about an hour away. Okay. And um, you know it was a big deal for me, and to come back home, and it was a challenge. I knew it was going to be a challenge because they had struggled in the past, and but that kind of drew me to that place. Okay. You know, I wonder if I can do this, and and then I struggled. Now, the truth of me, I struggled to win games there, and um, so eventually it was a good experience because I got a chance to be a head coach, run my own program. Yes, um, I'm better today than I ever was when I first started when I first started coaching as a head coach was 2008 Mm -hmm. So that's man that's almost like 13 years ago when I got fired was 2013 so again eight years ago Um, so I'm just so much better because I I had so many more experiences after Maris Mm -hmm. Um, but I learned a lot I learned a lot and um, so I was a head coach for five years I got let go and then I hooked up with the Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA um, but I wasn't coaching. I was doing front office scouting work. Gotcha. And uh, that was interesting because they had a- actually offered me the job the year before huh. while I was at Maris. And um, I got a good friend of mine who's now the president and GM of the of the Detroit Pistons, Troy Weaver. Him and I started out AAU coaches. He used to coach uh, a team called the DC Assault. And I used to coach the New York Ravens. And one summer... We would always like wind up in a championship game. That's yep. how we got to know each other. And I, I tease him to this day. I said, You were always a GM, man. You always had the better players. So <laughs> so you were always recruiting, you're always drafting. So that's how we met. And then fast forward, he he calls me one day and I'm the head coach at Maris. And he says, Hey, my boss is coming to visit you at Maris. And I'm struggling at Maris. I'm not winning games. And I'm like, why would Sam Presti come to upstate New York to see me? Like, I don't have any players that you're going to draft. So, you know, he, Troy Weaver says to me, hey, you know, my boss is coming to spend time with you at, at, at Marist. So, you know, that's like on a Thursday, rather. Mm-hmm. And um, so next Tuesday, my secretary knocks on, the, on the, my door and, like, she says, hey, Sam Presti. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, just, you know, put him through the phone, you know. And she's like, no, he's downstairs.
2: What the heck, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm, like, confused. I'm like, this guy's the president and GM of the Thunder. And they were good. Yeah. They had Durant. They had Harden. They had KD. I'm like, what's this guy doing here? Yeah. So, he, sure enough, he spent the whole practice. He watched the practice. He hung out. We talked before and after. And we kept in touch. And then, um, and then a few months later, he invited me to, like, a game in, in you know, at, at Oklahoma against the Spurs. And then uh, we talked a little bit, and, and he offered me a position, but I wasn't ready to give up being a head coach.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, then I got fired a year later,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so I reconnected with Sam and Troy Weaver. So I worked with them for one year uh, doing scouting, and mm-hmm. I learned a, a, a lot. I mean, that was probably one of the most productive years of my career, just understanding how a front office works, why they draft, why they don't draft. Why they trade? Why they don't trade? And then um, I did that for a year, and then I hooked up at Indiana with Tom. Dean, was there for three years. Uh, won a Big Ten championship in 2016. Went to the Sweet 16, um, and then I hooked up with Frank. And I've been with uh, Frank here in South Carolina. This is the end of my fourth year nice. at South Carolina. So it's been a it's been a good run, man. For you know, kid from the Bronx, Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx. It's that's been great. Not,
0: that's pretty storybook, Coach. I mean, you've had some. Some pretty amazing experiences. Um, so right now you're with Frank at South Carolina. Uh, yeah. what does the day like uh, for you right now look like as an assistant coach at South Carolina?
1: Well, you know, right now we're doing individual work with some of the kids in the program. Um, now with the new rules with the transfer portal, we're trying to find guys that fit our culture. We're trying to find guys that fit our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a constant, you know, never ending, phone call, email, text message, um, trying to gather information, intel, who's, who's available, who isn't available, um, who do I need to talk to, to to get in touch with this kid. So, you know, recruiting never ends, right? It's the bloodline of every program. Um, so you wake up in the morning and um, you, you, for me, the way I've usually done it in my career is if, if you reach out to them, like they're family member, You know, I check in on my wife, my kids, and then whoever I'm recruiting, you know, Hey, what's up, what's going on? And you check in with his people throughout the day. And then before you go to bed, like your family, you hug everybody, you kiss them. Good night. I love you. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's how I'm used to doing it. Um, it takes a lot of effort to do it that way. Um, it takes a lot of energy to do it that way, but I think it comes across, um, what it is, which is a genuine, uh, connection with people. And, um, so, yeah, right now we're, we're, you know, we're, we're like everyone else trying to find the needs, uh, for our program and that never ends, you know, because it's midnight here. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's only, you know, three in the afternoon in Europe yeah. It's only, you know, uh, nine o'clock in, on the West coast. So, you know, it's a constant, you know, constant, uh, treadmill. You're just, you're just trying to, you're trying to, you know, keep this thing going. So,
0: you know, I can, I can tell just from our conversation here and the, the conversations that we've had, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, that you're a pretty genuine person. And so I'm sure, try those, to be. Yeah. I'm sure those recruits can yeah. appreciate it.
1: Yeah. You know, I try to be, it's so hard to, it's so hard to be someone else. Right. I yeah. think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make in, in, in life, but particularly when you're young, you know, you're still trying to find your voice. You're trying to find your, your inner voice, you're trying to find your spirit, you're trying to figure out how do you, how do, you do this? What, yeah. What's going to be a coaching uh, philosophy, style? How do you interact with people? And so when you're trying to find those answers, you, you, know, you, you sometimes try to be someone else. Yeah. You, try to, you try to model someone else. And it's okay to try to model their style, but you know, ultimately you got to be true to who you are because you can't fool people. Eventually people you know, see through you that's and um, and they figure out like this guy's not genuine. This guy, he's not real. He he's uh, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. So it takes so much effort to try to be someone else. I learned a long time ago. Um, you know, going back to our original conversation about my neighborhood, like in my neighborhood, like don't try to be someone else. Someone else can get you in trouble.
2: Yeah, like, yeah. let
1: people know who you are. Like, yo, I'm a nice kid, <laughs> right? I'm a, I'm not a street kid. I'm no not yeah I'm not the softest kid but i'm not I'm not out here losing my mind yeah. and um and that, so that served me well today like you got to be genuine because if you someone you're not you're going to attract the wrong type of people if you if you are who you are, then you're going to attract the people that are right for you, whether it's recruiting or relationships or you know anything uh anything along the lines with with other you know communicating with other people
0: and I can tell as far as relationships go it's huge i mean how how important is it? For coaches out there, just, I guess, a piece of advice for coaches and, and players in general, just um, to cultivate those relationships amongst each other uh, within your program, within the people you work with on staff, other coaches that you're talking to and networking with.
1: Yeah, you know, you, you got it. It's, it's critical. It's everything. But it's not just in the basketball uh, community. It's just in life, right? Yeah. Like, like you're you trying to build a – we essentially, I think, you're know, human beings. We, we're accustomed to being around people. We need, we need to interact with people. Mm -hmm. Um, some people like the interaction to be more, others want less, but ultimately you, you need somebody, you you need someone along the journey. So you got to really go out of your way to try to cultivate those relationships. I think the challenge today is you can do it in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're a little bit older, like I'm a little bit older, I'm not like this, but some of the guys, my age, they don't understand or don't want to understand social media.
2: Yeah.
1: So now it's like, well, you're eliminating one way to communicate with people. Yeah. Um, so like you can't be the old guy. You can't be like, oh, I'm not going on Twitter. I don't understand Instagram. Like, like bro, you, you know, you can't. If you want to communicate with people, this is how kids communicate. This is how people communicate. Yeah. And, and, um, and I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. Um, but you certainly got to grow and evolve and, um, and figure out how to use these these great tools that are available today that weren't available 20 years ago. If, if this, if, if technology, if this were 20 years ago, you and I would never meet. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're in a different part of the country, so am I. Uh, but because of technology, it allows me to connect with you on social media. And now you and I can do this. We yeah. can connect, we can interact and see each other. We can bounce ideas off each other. I can ask you, hey, what do you think about attacking a 131? You can say, hey, what do you think about attacking, you know, a sagging man-to-man defense? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's exciting that, that technology provides us the ability to interact with people all over the world that, that 20 years ago, I wouldn't be able to do this. I, I, I wouldn't even know you existed, and you wouldn't know that I exist. Yeah. Instead, you and I are connected on a, on a Tuesday night in, um, you know, via, via Zoom. And, you know, I'll even go a
0: little deeper, uh, not deeper, I guess a little sooner in the timeline, where, you know, since the lockdowns happened when COVID started, it kind of forced a lot of different professions to go online. And it allowed, I connected with more coaches through uh, Zooms and social media a uh, hundred times more than I did before. I mean, I talked to coaches, but mostly coaches in my area, my region, sure. you know, yeah. but. But when all of that happened, everybody just popped online and there was Zoom clinic after Zoom clinic after Zoom clinic and meeting after meeting online that you just had a chance to really interact with so many more people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing uh, with the technology today. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend who's older, who's in the coaching profession, and he was asking me because he sees I'm active on on uh, social media. Yeah. So he was asking me about certain things. And and I just kind of told him, I said, yo, you gotta evolve. I said, I said, I don't need to set up an appointment with a secretary to talk to the general manager of the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. I could just DM them. Yeah. I could just send them a message through Twitter. Yeah. And and today most GMs, presidents, people in those positions, they're they're younger than us. Yeah. So social media is like is like a it's a tool, it's a phone, it's a phone call. And um, I gave him an example of I wanted to communicate with someone in the NBA. And, and what I did was I just I watched one of the games that they were playing in. And, and they ran good action. So all I did was I went back to my office and I diagrammed the action on my grease board.
2: Hmm. And I
1: did it frame by frame by frame. I took a snapshot of it and I sent it to one of the general manager's and presidents of an NBA team, like I just did it through Twitter. And he got back to me like in three minutes. I never met him before in my life. And all I said was, watch your game last night, really good action. And I went in three or four minutes, he replied and said, we got a creative staff. We're excited and fortunate to have the staff. And then all of a sudden, like me and the president of this NBA team, who I've never met physically, we speak like once a month. I wow. wow. I don't need a secretary, I didn't need an agent to set up the appointment. I, I didn't need to fly to the city. I just literally press send and then he got it and he and he responded. And um and that's the beauty of, of of today with technology that you can you can connect with people all over the world and you can connect with people that 20 years ago you probably couldn't because there was there was a barrier. There was a physical barrier. I can't get to Dallas. I can't get to Europe. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. It's all in, it's all, all whatever you can, whatever world you can create in your mind. It's it's there for you. You just gotta, you gotta, you gotta view it that way. You gotta make a shift in your mind. And this particular coach who I know really well, he, it was so simple. He was like, he was like, no, no way. I said, I'm I'm serious. Try it. Sure enough, like three months, two weeks later, three weeks later, he got in touch with an MBA guy. And he was just shocked that they responded. He was shocked that he got through, the, through to them. And I said, that's because you're thinking like a 55-year-old guy. I'm like, you know, these guys, this is how they communicate. This, what is, they how they, this, is, how, this is what you do. And uh, so it's, it's awesome. It's great, man. I love it.
0: I literally did that last week with a, with a college guy. I liked the action they ran. We had similar personnel. I thought, well, no, that could be useful to what we do. Let me hit them up. I don't know him really. I just hopped in his DM. Yeah. He said, Hey, here's my phone number. Call me. We could talk about it. So yeah. I, and we just talked about, you know, just how they implement what they do. What is the thought process behind yeah. it? What are you teaching every day? What are you, uh, you know, focusing on and keen on? And I mean, I didn't really know the guy. I just hit him up in his DM. Right. Ask him for some advice, you know. Um, and most people are pretty good about it.
1: Really. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And um, so go goes back to your initial uh, conversation about, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you cultivate that, that um, those relationships? How do you do that? Well, you know, that's how you do it with kids today. You know, you you post something, they like it. They post something. I like it. They're aware that I'm there. I'm aware that they're there. Um, Images are important to these guys, these younger guys. And um, so it's important to touch them in different ways. Some days it's sitting down with them one-on-one face to face other days is you know like hey wishing them a happy birthday on twitter yeah it's um but you got to find different ways to keep the relationship uh going
0: absolutely and they like that social media praise for everybody to see it i mean yeah i told my my assistant coach i just hired him i was like look i, I try to stay pretty active with our program even though it's a high school we don't have like a social media advisor or nothing we just okay. kind of have to do it ourselves i said but you know these kids like it they they enjoy it when, when you praise them online. I said, I don't have a problem with so.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a different world that we live in. And um, and, and they, 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 they were born into this world. Yeah. So this, this is normal to them. All this is mean. expected. Um, for us, it's not. At least for me, it's not. Um, so I'm adapting. But for them, an 18-year-old kid is like, yeah, well, you should interact with me. That's, that's, how I, that's how I communicate with people through social media. For yes, sure. You know, yeah. you, talk, you
0: talked about uh,
1: being yourself, but it's okay
0: to, uh, you know, to kind of look at somebody and take what you can from each you know, Who are some guys that you've learned from, some mentors of yours in the coaching profession?
1: Uh, you know, I've been super fortunate, man, to, to work for really good coaches, really good people, and I'll start off with Frank Martin. You know, Frank, Frank's a winner, man. He's, uh, he's got a great story. Like, like, Frank Martin is like the American story, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, come from some Cuban descent in Miami, um, you know, fighting the good fight, trying to live a better life. Uh, high school coach, bouncer, you know, he's worked all these jobs and then all of a sudden he's in the final four. Yeah, it's a great story. It's an incredible story. You know, like if you made a movie out of it, people wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot from Frank, man. Uh, learned a lot about, you know, coaching. I've learned a lot about um about life, his, his life experiences. So he's been, you know, he's been tremendous. Um, Tom Crean, who's now the head coach at Georgia. I was with him at, at Indiana. Uh, mm-hmm. He's another guy, you know, he's got an incredible story it's not like he played in, in at high level basketball in college. He's not an NBA player. And all of a sudden he becomes the head coach of one of the most iconic programs in the history of American sports at Indiana. Yeah. Um, so I learned how to, how to deal with adversity. You know, Indiana was a, was a, a, a tough place to to coach. It was a good thing because the expectations were so high. Yeah. So you learn how to perform under uh, enormous amount of pressure every night. Um, so I learned that from Tom. Tom was tremendous there. And then, you know, obviously I worked for Cal. So Cal was great. You know, he he's just one of those guys. He's talented. He's got a gift for uh, connecting with people. He's got a gift for, for instilling uh, confidence in people. Um, so I learned that from him. Like, yo, you can you get people to believe, you can do it. Yeah. You know, you got to get them to believe in whatever the mission is. So Cal has that talent. And all the other guys, Bruiser Flint, uh, Norm Roberts, you know, all those guys I work for, um, that gave me an opportunity, I was able to to essentially go behind uh, behind the curtain, right? Like so many people wanna What's it like to be a division one assistant or a head coach or how, what's it like to work for Frank Martin or John Calipari or Tom Crean, Norm Roberts, Bruce. So I've been given uh, the opportunity to go behind the curtain and see and look and like, OK, this is how you do it. So all those guys have influenced me and um, and they've all they've all influenced me on and off the court. And I've been able to kind of take a little bit from everyone and, and use it the way I, I see fit. Uh, with my, with my personality and trying to be true to myself, which is really hard because people always want you to be something else. Yeah. They, they want you to be more clean cut. Uh, you're too clean cut. Uh, they want you to have street care. Oh, not that much. It's too much street. Everyone's swaying you left and right. Yeah. So you got to find out how to be true to yourself and, um, and not get lost in you're not going to be John Calipari. You can't coach like John Calipari. You can't coach like Tom Cream. You can't coach like Frank Martin. But you can take all the great qualities that those guys have and then use it to your advantage.
2: Absolutely.
1: So I've been lucky that way. I've been real fortunate.
0: Absolutely. Extremely fortunate. I mean –
1: Yeah, no doubt. 100%, man. You know, like, guys, Some of the best are the best. Some of the best and the best, man. And, um, you know, growing up, 1979, 1980, if someone said – Hey, this is going to be your career. Most people probably would not like believe it, right? Yeah, if someone said, "Hey, you're going to be, you're going to coach in the national championship game, the final four, you're going to be a head coach, you're going to work in the NBA, you're going to work at Indiana," it's like, you know, dudes will be like, "Like Chuck, I love you, but stop.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: that's <laughs> never going to happen." So for me, it's been an unbelievable ride, man. And um, and and in my mind, I'm like, it's not, you know, I'm not at my end. In my mind, I've been doing it for a while, but I wake up every day with enthusiasm of like what's next? What's yeah. you know, I wanna see something new. I wanna do something new. I wanna experience something new. So for me, this is a never ending journey. You know, this thing's just gonna keep going until oh, until someone says like, yo man, enough, stop. Like, like you've been doing this too long. Probably your wife before anybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Until I'm home for like three days, and she's like, "Yo, go back out. Go, <laughs> go find a there. job. Go, find yeah, it. yeah. Go, go get a job, man." Like I was wrong. <laughs> you've been home for three days. No, go, go back out.
0: Yeah, you know when you love what you do, though. I mean, it's the same old adage that people use all the time, but you never feel like you work a day in your life. um You know, so true. Seven years as a head coach, 10 11 as just coaching in general. I feel like I just started. I feel like. I mean, I don't know. I just wake up every day with this excitement and thrill and yeah, a little too hyper sometimes when I get to work. I'm like, let's get after it. And people 30, yeah. like, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. You got to – I'm just excited, you know, we just yeah. get to do something we're passionate about.
1: No, it's very few guys uh, experience what you and I experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's hard for them to understand, like, why are you so happy? Like, what are you so excited about? Like, calm down. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm not working. I'm, 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 I'm passionate about the thing that I love to do. And, you know, I'm 51 and my body tells me I'm 51 at times. But my spirit is that of a, of a young guy, of a, a 16, 17-year-old, like that enthusiasm to go to work, go to practice, teach, do individual work. And, um, you know, when, when you get that feeling, it's like, yeah, this is awesome. This is unbelievable because there are other people who make a good living. They make a lot of money. But they can't feel what you and I feel,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. They, they, they can't get that that satisfaction that you and I get from doing what we do Absolutely. so it's it's a neat it's a neat thing to, to be a part of so you've worked for some of the best of the
0: best that like like we talked about a little while ago, I mean Kyle and you know coach martin and and um, so what what are some things you would tell a young a young man right now an athlete high school high school athlete you know if what are some of the expectations going into playing for? somebody like uh, Calipari or Frank?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, and it's hard for young people to, to understand this. Um, you know, you, you've got to want to be a part of something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. If it's all about you, in the long run, it's not going to, It's it, you're, not, you're never going to reach your dream just by yourself. Yeah. And um, the more talented you are, the more people you need to help you because their dream is bigger.
2: Yeah.
1: You got a lot of talent. I want to play in the NBA. You got unbelievable talent. I want to be an all-star in the NBA. You have elite talent. You want to win an NBA championship. I think people think the more talented you are, I could do it by myself. No, because the more talented you are, the more ambitious you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the goals are greater. The, the, uh, the thing that you're trying to accomplish is greater. So you need people around you. So you gotta you gotta wanna be a part of something greater than yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and and that's hard for people to understand because they they see it through their lens. They they I wanna go to Kentucky and and I wanna play and I wanna be a star there. Yeah, but as good as you are, you're never gonna be as good as all the all-time greats that are ever played there.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, like Kentucky's had some really good players. But they're never going to be as good as they got a laundry list of how many guys have played at, uh, at Kentucky. So you got to be willing to say I'm going to give of myself to Kentucky, and in return, Kentucky's going to give me everything it has. And yeah. then together in that marriage, it's going to take off. Um, South Carolina, you know, went to the final four four years ago. Frank's an incredible coach. We had some Darius Thornwell, MBA, uh, PJ uh, Dozier, MBA, Chris Silva, MBA. Like you can't come to South Carolina and and say, "Hey, I wanna I wanna take over. I wanna be the guy." No, you wanna be a part of it. And if you're a part of it and help us, we're gonna help you. And together, we're gonna create this magic of going to the Final Four. Yeah, coaches
0: as well. I mean, you've worked you've worked a long career so far, a beautiful career with some amazing coaches. You know, some advice you to get some young coaches out there, um, whether they want to get in high school, or college, it doesn't matter. Just in general.
1: Yeah, I I, I think you. They got to they gotta really want to do this. You know, I, I think they, they got to do it whether they get a, a Nike contract, Under Armour contract, Adidas contract, or they get no contract. You got to have a passion in your belly to teach. Yeah. Like, don't chase the money. And I think too often uh, people are chasing the money and they're chasing the, um, they're chasing the uh, notoriety. They, they want to be recognized on Instagram, on Twitter. They want somebody to say, oh, that's the best recruiter in the state of Texas. That's the best uh, individual workout guy in the state of Texas. So I don't, I don't view it that way. I just, my thing is enjoy the craft. Like be really good at the craft. You know, teach for me was teaching. I love teaching, I love being on the court. So I never, I never got consumed with the notoriety. I, I got excited with the craft, be a good teacher. Be a good developer. And what I've learned is when you do that, whether you want it or not, the notoriety comes anyway. Yeah. Because someone says, Man, that kid Shamgod's pretty good. Well, who do you work out with? Well, I work out with this guy. You know, so it's gonna come to you if you're if you're true to the craft.
2: Absolutely.
1: And uh, so too often I think today guys want they want a nickname or they want a, they wanna <laughs> <laughs> they want an Instagram hook or something. It's like, I don't get it. I'm like, yo, just be good at it. Be be a good teacher, be a good communicator. My, my Everyone's goal in my dream is, in my, in my mind is your goal should be to elevate that kid, whoever that kid is. Yeah. If that kid is a, if, if he can max out as a division three player, you you should, you should feel an excitement that yeah. you can get him and develop him to a division three program. If that kid, maxes out as a division two player there should be an excitement about you getting the best out of him so he can become the best division two player there is yeah. and too often in today's day and age if there's a division three player division two player a lower division one player no one wants to work out with him yeah no one wants to develop that guy because really what they've done is they want to work out the all because they want the notoriety Mm-hmm. They want to be on Instagram with the first, with the lottery pick. Yeah. So then when, when you take a photo of the lottery pick or the all American, you're in the photo. So then you can post it on Instagram and say, yo, great workout with my man, whoever. <laughs> yeah. And so to me, I struggle with that because that guy doesn't need you. Yeah. Kevin Durant out of high school, He's seven feet tall, two guard.
2: Yeah.
1: He doesn't you you can work him out for for a year every day for three three times a day. He doesn't need you at that at that particular stage of his life to show him how to handle it. Yeah. You know, now he can learn something from you, but he doesn't need you. Yeah. So my my thing is if you're a coach, I've always taken pride in I'm gonna help the guy who they think stinks. Yeah. I'm going to help develop the kid who everyone says that kid sucks. I've always gravitated to that guy. Um, and I've been fortunate to be around, you know, the Derek Roses of the world too, which is kind of cool to work those guys out and, and learn from them and those guys learn from you. But I've, my, my initial instincts have always been, who is the guy that's not getting the attention? Who is the guy that doesn't have notoriety? Who is the guy that they say is not a very good player? That's the guy that I usually instinctively – Gravitate to, because in my mind I say I can help that guy. I can help him maximize his his potential. So that would be my advice to young coaches: like, like you wanna you wanna you wanna prove your wealth, your your worth. You wanna show that you're a really good coach, good developer. Walk in the gym and gravitate to the kid who's not supposed to be the all American. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me see you work with that guy in a month, in a year. Let me see how far he's come. Yep. And, and if he maxes out as a Division II player, and everyone thought that he was a non-scholarship player, you did a phenomenal job. Absolutely, yes, sir. Now you're not going to get the recognition for it because he's a Division II player. You're not going to be on Instagram or Twitter or, but you in your heart know, like, man, I I did a good job with that kid.
2: Helped this guy and,
1: out. Yeah, yeah, helped that guy out. So, so I've always that's how I've always been. I've I've always taken pride or an excitement of, like, I can help that guy. I know I can help that guy. And and then along the way what happens is, this is the interesting thing. The guys who are the All-Americans, the guys that are the first-round draft picks, they recognize, they watch. Mm -hmm. And they say, that guy is invested in that kid so much, imagine what he would do if if he worked me out. They watch, they see. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, that coach right there is really good because no one wanted to work out that kid no one talked to that kid no one invested in that kid see kids are not dumb no, no they're no. young but they're not dumb and then when you walk in the gym and they walk in the gym they know they can read situations they can read 100%. body language and they know they may be respectful because they're young but they know like that coach doesn't he never works that guy out yeah and and over time they recognize like are oh, you just doing it for for uh uh self-serving reasons yeah. You just want to work me out so you can get the credit for it, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's the of it. Like if you if you invested in the uh, the kids who weren't as talented, over time people watch, and now the better place. You know what? I want to work out with that guy. That guy is really good. That guy's taking his time. That guy that guy's in it for the right reasons. He's not trying to use me.
0: Yeah, I tell coaches all the time. They say, like, "Look, man, they'll know if you come in the gym and you're not genuine, and and you don't really care about them." Uh, They'll, they'll read right through it, and if, and if that happens, then, then you've lost them. And, and, but they, right. can, they, they can see it, like you said, right? As soon as you walk in the gym, they know if you're full of crap or not.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, no question. You know, I was watching an interview about a year ago about Mike Tyson. Mike, Mike Tyson was, was being interviewed, and he had, he had, like, some really interesting ideas. He says, you know, you're not your age, and you're not your name. Like like people, we introduce ourselves, hey, my name is Chuck Martin. I'm 51. But that's not really who you are. People, you, people feel your energy.
2: Yeah.
1: Whatever your energy is, that's who you are, not your name and your age. So people have that mistaken. They think, hey, I'm the assistant coach at South Carolina. I'm the assistant coach at, you know, Memphis, Indiana. Hey, I'm the head coach at Maris. That's not who you are. That's just a title. Who you are is your energy.
2: Yeah.
1: And when, and when they feel your energy, they know who you are. And that's, and that's where I think a lot of people, particularly young people, get lost in our profession. They wanna say, yeah, I was Zion Williamson's workout guy, but I don't feel your energy, I don't feel you, so it doesn't really mean anything to me. And, um, and I think if more people took that approach, uh, because I think the people who are really alert and aware, you can tell me the President of the United States they don't. They don't feel it. They don't. You know, there's an old saying. Uh, you know, they can call you coach, but it doesn't mean you can. Yeah. You know, so like they got it. You can give a. You can have a title all you want. Um, they got to feel your energy.
0: Well, I appreciate your energy, man. Because uh, that I allowed you. that allowed uh, You know, the assistant coach of South Carolina that has had an amazing career to link up with a, a high
1: school coach out of Texas. And no, we're connected, man. I was a high school coach for seven years. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a I'm a teacher at heart. Regardless of what I've done, you and I are come. We come from the same fraternity. Yes, We're sir. teachers.
0: I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Um, you know, touch on you know those guys, but then you mentioned the Derrick Rose's. How I mean, he's one of the most explosive athletes of all time. I mean, yeah, pretty remarkable. I mean, what was it like watching him work out uh, during that time?
1: He was incredible, and I learned a lot with Derrick Rose. I was a young coach. I want to say. I had been coaching, let me see, one, bear with me, one, two. I had only been maybe a coach at that time on a collegiate level uh, maybe six years, mm-hmm. seven years. And, and I had not ever been around a player of that magnitude. I was in the Big East at St. John's. We had some good players, but we never had a guy like Derek Rose. Yeah. So that was, that was a, an incredibly uh, – interesting time that I learned. And what I learned was that when guys are special like him, like they're teaching you mm-hmm. and you can't be stubborn and say, I'm the head coach. I'm the assistant. You're trying to... he, He's a once in a lifetime um, talent. So there were things that we wouldn't allow other guys to do, but we let Derek do it yeah. because his talent allowed him to do it. And you could have been stubborn and say, you know, make a chest pass with two hands, which is fundamentally correct, and they should. But Derek could jump 40 inches in the air and make a pass with one hand yeah. to to like like 30 feet away to the weak side corner for a three. And you're like – your gut says, don't let him do that. But you're like, he could do that. Yeah. So, so, you know, you learn from him. And the other thing it, that I learned from him was when I was prior to Memphis – I was at I was in programs that you had to grind it out, like you weren't quite good enough. You you were never the best team.
2: Mm-hmm. And when
1: I was at St. John's, we were a good team, but UConn was the best team. Syracuse was the best team. So we had to do everything perfect, yep. um, and we had to do everything right just to just to be in the ball game. And at the end, you know, you can steal the game with a, you know, you can out you, not out coach, but you can you can strategically win the game mm-hmm. if you're just close enough. And I remember with Derek, my first time, the first two weeks, like he wasn't running hard enough because I'm used to guys like, if you don't run hard enough, we're going to get blown up tonight. you got to run. you got to cut. And I remember being a young coach, like being like agitated and like, oh, man, you got to cut. Like you got to go hard. And Coach Perry would be like, don't yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> I but Cal that. would be like, don't don't yell at Derek. And so I would, I was young and I was, you know, I was passionate. So I'm like, yo, this guy's got a cut. Like, 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 you know, I would be with the guards, right to left crossover left to right crossover. So you got to have your, you know, tight to the body, you know, low below your knees and coach Cal be like, don't yell at him. Like he's good. He's, he, he, but that was my lack of experience being around a guy that was that talented. And in my mind, I'm like, I know he's an all-American. I know he's really good, but yo, man, like, like he's gotta, he's gotta do better. And then our first game, it hit me like, holy smokes, like this guy's really good. Like his first game was like, it wasn't that he scored a lot, it was how fast he was. Like, it was like playing a video game. Like all the drills that I tried to get him to do didn't matter. Yeah. So I got it. It was like, I don't need those drills. When the lights are on, I'm the best player in America. And I learned, like, okay, I got it. I understand what it means to coach an elite, elite basketball player that's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft.
2: And you can learn.
1: Yeah, yeah, future MVP, future rookie of the year. So that experience prepared me for Indiana. So when I got to Indiana, we had a bunch of pros. Mm -hmm. and uh, Not a bunch. We had a handful of pros. But I, I understood it. I got it. I'm like, okay, Yogi Farrell has a talent that maybe he can do that yeah. at 5'10". Usually you wouldn't allow a 5'10 guard do certain things, but him, you, you can let him do it. Troy Williams had a talent that wasn't really fundamentally sound at times, but he's such an explosive athlete that you're like, okay, I just, you just got to put them in position to succeed. So that, that, that experience at Memphis with Derek Rose prepared me for years later for the Indiana experience.
0: I love it coach. Uh, that's, that's great insight, you know, and it's always refreshing to hear coaches acknowledge when maybe they had a lack of experience or they just didn't know any better, uh, but this is how I got better uh, learning through those uh, moments. And so.
1: Yeah, I, I would in high school, I was, a, I was a young high school coach. And I would tell Sham guy, like, you can't do that. Yeah. And that was, that was really my first experience, to be honest, of learning. I was like, you can't, you got to, you know, I was a camp counselor. Yeah. So, like, hey, you got to go right to left crossover, left to right crossover. You got to tight to your body. And Sham was like, no, you could do this. And I would fight him on it. I'm like, you can't, yeah. I'm like, you can't do that. And he would say to me, why not? I'm like, because and my answer was really silly. My answer was like, because it's not because I said so, and it's and it's not fundamentally sound. Yeah. And as I'm saying that, he's doing it against defenses. Yeah. He's getting away with it. I'm like, yo, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, you can. I just did it. I just and did then, it. And my, I yeah. So I learned like, that's different. That's that's outside the box. And then it hit like that guy is great at that. Mm-hmm. And I need to learn that when someone's really good at whatever. That's a gift that they have. You can't, you can't box them in. You can't prevent them from being great. And he was great at that. Yeah. And, uh, and too often as coaches, we, we try to prevent because it, um, it challenges our authority. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's some kids that can't do it. And they shouldn't do it. And, and they should never even think about doing that. But every once in a while, if you're fortunate enough, and I've been fortunate to run, run across some of those guys, I've learned like, you're not supposed to do that, but he's so good, he can do that. And you got to let him do it. Yeah. So then you learn. You learn.
0: You know, before we call this today, day, Coach, um, you know, a couple of moments in your career where you realize, you know, this is actually also much deeper than coaching a game of basketball where you're impacting lives and things of that nature.
1: Oh, man, I've had so many of them, man. Um, I've been so fortunate to to have like really good players to go on to the NBA but really I've had other like families Mm -hmm. you know there's a family that calls you a year after a kid graduates and he's doing great he's married he's got kids he you know he bought his first house and they they send you a simple text like yo man like I just want to thank you um I never told you this but you know you you impacted my life Mm-hmm. And um, so I've had moments like that throughout my career where, you, you know, you're just at home with your family or you're in the supermarket and you get a text message from a parent that you haven't talked to in like 10 years. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, there's a text message from them saying, you know, coach Martin, man, you know, I just want to thank you. You know, I'm, I'm 30, I'm married. Here's a photo of my kids. And um, you know, like you impacted me in a positive way. Yeah, I was in Atlanta two years ago recruiting, and, um, and my first job was Manhattan College. And one of my first recruits was a guy named David Holmes, who was a tremendous collegiate player. And I haven't seen David Holmes in like 12 years. Yeah. And I was in Atlanta recruiting, and after the the games were over, myself and like three other coaches went to a local place to eat. And he was in there. He's from D.C. It's like, what are you doing in Atlanta? But he's got to be at the time 29 30 and he's a big sucker like six six eight six seven and he ran over like he was a kid coach yeah like big like a genuine like hug and um he was with some people and he just kind of it was awesome because he just kind of told everybody oh this guy coached me helped he changed my life you know i came from uh a tough area in DC. I graduated from college. I got my degree. It hit me like, man, like I impacted that kid. Yeah. And, uh, so it was neat because it, that was my, that's, that's how I view myself. I view myself as a teacher. I view myself as someone that wants to impact lives, um, help kids. And, and at that moment it, it came to, uh, fruition, uh, yeah. in front of everybody. So I was like, man, that was a, that was a cool moment for me. I
0: love it. I love the stories like that coach. Um, I think that's why a lot of us enjoy this profession so much. You know, the, the X's and O's and the wins, is, it's awesome. I think we, most of us probably have that inner competitive spirit where yeah. we, just, uh, we hate to lose and we're going to do everything we can to win. Um, but also those moments where you know you, you impacted a young man's life and, and you helped him in a positive way. I mean, those, those, uh, those stories are refreshing. They're
1: great. They're great stories. And, and you know, you, you've created a memory with someone. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't buy memories. You know, that's, you know, you, you can buy a car, a house, you can go on vacation. You can do all these great things with finances, right? Mm-hmm. And we all need money, right? I'm, we all wish we had a little bit more money. But like the ultimate joy is when you create this magical moment, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, a high school championship or a double overtime JV game when you, you know, your first year as a, as a high school coach and, and it meant something to you. Yeah. Like like I've been to the final four um national championship game, you know, all the things I've done in my career. I got a kick about a month ago when my high school New York City's doing a um, they're doing a uh essentially um they're talking about New York City basketball in the 80s and
2: mm-hmm.
1: the 90s. And they created this t-shirt with all the high schools that played and some of the players that played during that era. And of all the things I've done in my career, I was so proud to put on a T-shirt yeah. with my high school on it because I created memories with those guys. Yeah. And so when, you know, they asked me to wear the T-shirt and just say a few things about the high school and the, and, the, and the league, the New York City Catholic League, and then they posted that. And it was like, it was guys that I've not talked to in 20 years. And it was like, man, that's neat because we created memories 20 years ago. And it still means something to me and it still means something to those guys. So it's, uh, it's neat. It's cool, man. It's, it's, I've been lucky that way.
0: Yes, sir. Well, Chuck, man, I, I I genuinely appreciate your time, uh, taking time out of your day to talk about the life and hoops and everything else, man. Uh, So. Man, I
1: appreciate you having me, man. It's, uh, I love doing it. I love connecting with people and it's always exciting to, to meet someone different from a different part of the country. And, and hopefully this is the beginning of a, of a great friendship moving forward.
0: Absolutely, Coach. If you need something down the road, uh, anything I can ever help with, you know, just uh, feel free to reach out.
1: Man, same here, man. You need anything on my end, don't hesitate to call. And uh, I'm excited to to see where this friendship goes here. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks, Chuck. You have a good night. You too, man. Appreciate you. Thank <laughs> you, brother. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir.